Good morning. I want to start by reminding you that tonight Jake and I will be co-preaching as we look at the topic of singing in worship. And so hopefully you'll be here for that. If we have time, we'll even have a question and answer period. And then after that, we have dinner together. So hopefully you'll bring your favorite dish and stay with us. And if you don't bring anything, that's fine too. You can still stay with us. I think it'll be a good time of fellowship and hopefully learning uh, during the worship time as well. Also wanted to tell you, for our members, I got a text from Zinni Baeza just a moment ago saying the baby is here. So uh, that's exciting. And keep them in your prayers as uh, Brianna, our new secretary, will have some time off to, uh, to take care of little uh, Lexi. So good to have Lexi in the world. I want to start this morning by asking a very simple question. Here it is. Are we saved by grace? Now, I see some of you with a deer in the headlights kind of look. Some of you are shaking your head yes. Some of us are a little uneasy with that question. Because what we tend to do is we say yes, but, and we have to put a qualifier with that, right? What we have often done in the Lord's church is that we have overreacted to things. So we hear a false doctrine or a false teaching, and we go to the opposite extreme in order to combat it, which is not right. Even though we may take an extreme position the other way, it still may be very unbiblical. And it's also not right to take a moderate view sometimes. You see, sometimes what we say is, well, there's two extremes, and the truth usually lies in the middle somewhere. Not always. Everything in moderation is not a biblical concept. But yet we default to that so many times, and we say, well, the truth's probably somewhere in the middle. may not be. The truth may be somewhere on the outside of the middle either way, and we may still be completely wrong biblically by saying the truth is in the middle somewhere. What we typically do is we see a false teaching, and we swing the pendulum so far the other direction that we diminish what the actual teaching is. And so we've got to be careful. We do this sometimes with once saved, always saved. It's either once saved, always saved, or if I am saved, then I'm barely saved, right? There's either the possibility of apostasy or the probability of apostasy. We just need to be biblical. We just need to stand where the Bible stands. That should be our only goal, right? I mean, who cares what the church down the street is teaching or saying about a certain subject. That's not where we get our standard, right? Doesn't matter what your grandpa or grandma taught you. What does the Bible say? Where do we land? Well, we land where God's word lands. That's the only logical conclusion to reach. And when it comes to this question, are we saved by grace? The answer is unequivocally and biblically, yes, period. Exclamation point. You know, in 1689, the city of Windsor, England, the city fathers had gotten together and they, they were wanting to build a structure that had a corn market on the bottom floor, corn market being a place where they could display and sell items. And above that first floor, ground floor, they would have their meeting place. The architect was a famed, world-renowned architect who came up with a plan. He devised this plan where they'd have the corn market, then they would have the meeting place 
up above, but there were no pillars except on the edges of the building. The city father said that'll never hold. You've got to have pillars in the middle to hold up the structure. And the architect assured them, no, you don't. This new design, this new feature will hold up. It will last. It will stand the test of time. But the city fathers insisted, we want pillars. And so finally, the famed architect relented, and he put pillars in the middle of the structure. And many years passed, and it was time to do some renovating and some updating. And so painters came in, and they set up scaffolds to paint the ceiling. And they noticed that these pillars that the architect inserted didn't even reach the ceiling. There was a small gap that you couldn't tell with the naked eye. This structure had held for many years without pillars. The architect was right. He was long gone. He had died, but the city fathers were still not satisfied. And so they asked the painters to get some people to fill in the gaps in between the pillars just for reassurance. And we're not much different sometimes. You know, it seems like we feel like we have to support God in his work, right? That we have to give a little extra because maybe just in case God doesn't come through. Folks, when it comes to salvation, we are not worthy by any means. Salvation can never be reduced down to a mere business transaction, but yet we always seem to be balancing the books, don't we? We do our best to be worthy, but what we have to understand is that salvation is atonement, not attainment. It is believing, not achieving. We are spiritually bankrupt. We owe everything, yet we contribute nothing. And we get very uncomfortable with the phrase, saved by grace. Grace is a very confusing concept in the religious world. It shouldn't be, but it is. You have some that believe that God just showers His grace upon you without you doing anything. You're going to get it whether you like it or not. Then you have others that believe that you have to support God's work in the grace and that you have to work hard to earn it, and therefore they diminish grace altogether. Those are extremes, but we get real nervous when someone talks about being saved by grace. And anytime someone uses that phrase, it's like we have to quickly respond, yes, but you got to obey. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning and get our thinking straight when it comes to salvation by grace. There are folks in the religious world, maybe even within the church, that think that we take grace too far. You know, it's this idea that if you focus too much on grace, then you run the risk of taking it too far. Please hear me on this this morning. You can't take grace too far. You can't. You can pervert it. You can certainly misunderstand it. You can have a completely unbiblical view of grace, but you can't take the biblical concept of grace too far. It's impossible. Listen to what is written by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness 
toward us in Christ Jesus, the surpassing riches of His grace. Your version may say the immeasurable riches of His grace. In other words, God's grace is limitless. It is boundless. You can't take it too far. So when you see that phrase, saved by grace, understand that by grace simply means that something good was given that you didn't earn. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Every breath you draw into your lungs, inhaling and exhaling, is a gift of grace from God. You didn't do anything to earn that. You don't deserve it. Yet God graciously gives it to us. When you receive something good that you didn't earn, that is grace. You know, when you work an eight-hour day in your job, after a certain amount of time, you expect a check, don't you? That's a wage. If you run and compete in a race and you win, you get a trophy or a prize. If you're a model employee, you may get employee of the month. You may get recognized. You get an award. You earned those things. But when you get a wage you didn't deserve, when you get a trophy you didn't earn, when you get an award that you didn't work for, that's an illustration in part of what grace is. You didn't deserve any of this, and yet God graciously bestows it upon you. Eternal life is either earned or it is given. That's the only two options. There is no middle ground. Paul writes in Romans 4 and 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. When you earn something, you get a wage, not a gift. It's that simple. But when you don't earn something and you get it anyway, that's favor. That's grace. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that salvation is completely and totally unearned. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The only thing you have earned is death and punishment. That is what makes grace so amazing and so beautiful. That as Paul said, while you were dead in your transgressions, the gift of grace came. As Romans 5 puts it, while you were living in open rebellion against God, Grace came. It was offered through Jesus Christ, the personification of grace. If grace or salvation is from God, then there's nothing we can do to earn or merit it. It's either deserved or it's, or it's undeserved. That's really the only two options. And you know, sometimes we say things like this. We say, salvation is by grace, but not by grace alone. Folks, that's unbiblical. Quit saying that. That's to insinuate that grace is somehow merited and unmerited at the same time. That's not biblical. You're either saved by grace or you're not. Now, this 
this idea of being saved by grace, we have to dig a little deeper into. The question becomes, how do I receive the gift? Because you do have to receive a gift. If grace is a gift from God, any gift is only a gift if it, if, if it is received. We've talked about this before. Sometimes we get a gift that we're not all that happy about. And we say thank you and we move on knowing that we'll never use that gift ever. In fact, we may just give it to somebody else, right? Sometimes we get a gift and we feel obligated to give someone else a gift. Sometimes we refuse the gift and we say, oh, I, I couldn't possibly accept. Thank you, but no. None of those are an illustration of what it means to receive the gift of grace from God. To receive this gift is to do so without any work or merit on our part, but rather we graciously accept. And you know as well as I do, this is one gift that you'll want to snatch up, that you'll want to accept and that you will want to take to heart because it's greater than any gift that you could ever receive. But then it, there lies another problem, right? Because in the religious world, there's a lot of confusion about grace, and there's also a lot of confusion about what it means to accept the gift. Whether people admit it or not, you have to accept it. Even the people that, that try to say that we, as members of the Lord's church, are trying to work our way into heaven by being baptized, even they know that something has to be done in order to receive the gift. Because a gift is not a gift until you receive it. It's offered, but until you receive it, it's not really a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. How do we receive the gift of grace? Through faith. But like grace, faith is a misunderstood word in the religious world. Faith has to be understood as total surrender to God. We trust that God will save us because we believe with all of our heart that he sent his only begotten son to die a cruel death on a cruel cross, to be buried, to rise again three days later. We trust that he will save us from hell. And so we repent, we confess him as Lord. We are immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of our sins. This is how we call on the name of the Lord, Acts 22 and 16. This is how we appeal to Him for a clean conscience, 1 Peter 3, 21. This is an act of faith in which we clothe ourselves with Christ, Galatians 3 and 27. And it is at this point that our sins are washed away, again, Acts 22 and 16. And none of it is by merit. None of it is earned. It is all by grace. Here is something that the religious world would do well to take heed of. And that is, a response is not the same thing as a work. That's what many in the religious world believe, but it's not the same thing. A response is not the same thing as a work. Just because I respond to something doesn't mean that I'm trying to earn that something. If I receive a gift from James McCoy, I didn't do anything to earn that gift, nor did I work to receive it other than just sticking my hands out, right? And mouthing the words, thank you, maybe giving him a hug. That's not work, though. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything to work to receive it. I simply thanked him and received it. And as I said, we're often accused of trying to earn or merit salvation through, through baptism. But why is that? 
Because again, you look across the religious landscape and you could very well make the case that every other religion that doesn't believe in baptism are still trying to work their way to heaven, if that's the, if that's the way you want to put it. I mean, is it not a work by that standard to say the sinner's prayer and let Jesus into your heart? Is it not a work to repent and to ask God to forgive you? You see, I don't know of anyone in the Christian religions that doesn't believe that you have to do something. I don't know of any so-called Christian religion that doesn't believe that you have to at least do something. Whether it's asking Jesus into your heart, it's saying a sinner's prayer, being confirmed, or whatever it may be. Every Christian religion believes that you've got to do something. So why are we often accused of trying to work our way into heaven or earn salvation because we believe in baptism so strongly? You see, even the ones who make that ac uh, accusation still have to confront this. And that is that grace obligates. It just does. There's no way around that. Biblically, anyway. Listen to what is written in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Let me get this straight. Titus is suggesting that to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly and righteously and godly, is to earn salvation? Is that what he's getting at? Is that the message he's trying to present? I mean, he says, for, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So all men are saved? Not the women, because it says all men. So all men are saved? Without doing anything? Is that the message he's trying to get across? I think logic would tell us absolutely not. You see, I find it absolutely ridiculous and unbiblical to suggest that we have to work our way to heaven or that we have to do something to earn or merit salvation. However, I think it's absolutely ridiculous and unbiblical to suggest that we don't have to do anything in order to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of grace. Maybe you got a little uncomfortable at the beginning of this lesson. Maybe you're thinking, okay, where's he going with this? Because maybe you've heard all your life, you are saved by grace, but dot, dot, dot. Maybe you're ready to pounce on me after the lesson and set me straight. Folks, the Bible's very clear. Paul's very clear. You're saved by grace. However, grace obligates you. Grace is a gift. You don't receive the gift without a response. Notice what Paul wrote. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We obey not to merit our salvation, but because we trust in God. Obedience is a, master, is a matter of entrusting our soul to God. On the other hand, disobedience 
is a way of rejecting the gift of grace. You either accept the gift through faith and humble obedience, or you reject it by stubborn pride. That's the only two options. And you'll remember what the Hebrew writer stated in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now, I bring all that out not to scare you to death because that's a terrifying passage, but mainly to bring out the point that if you can reject the gift of grace, which is what he's talking about here. In fact, the whole letter of Hebrews is a warning not to fall away. So if the Hebrew writer is correct, and I believe that he is, if you can reject the gift of grace, the only logical conclusion is that you can accept it as well, right? If you can reject it, that means that you have to be able to accept it as well. Grace doesn't exempt us from responsibility. It doesn't mean that there is something that we don't have to do in order to be saved. Even those first Christians understood that. As they stood there on the day of Pentecost and listened to that soul-stirring sermon of Peter, after he got done, how did they respond? What must we do? They understood they had to do something. Throughout the Bible, we see people who confront their sin and who know that they need to do something in order to be saved. Not because they're trying to earn it in any way, but because they want the gift. And that's how you respond to it. Think about it this way. You have a pet goldfish. And you have them in one of those round aquariums, those bowls, you know, that you always see a goldfish in. Who owns the aquarium? The goldfish? You can shake your head no. Who owns the water? The goldfish? No. How about the food that you feed the goldfish? Did he earn that? From working a day's wage? No. That goldfish is completely and totally dependent upon you. He did nothing to deserve or earn the aquarium, the water, the food, and you're the same way. You're but a goldfish in this whole scenario. You did nothing to create this universe. You don't control the world around you. God has sustained you and provided for you in every way. It is by His grace that you have what you have, that you do what you do. It is only by His grace. He is in full control. We live in a world that we do not control, that is not our own, and we are completely dependent upon God for everything. The air we breathe, the food we consume, everything just as that goldfish is incapable of earning anything, so are we. This doesn't mean that we are incapable of obeying Him. In fact, we must. We're not incapable of pleasing Him or honoring Him. 
But even by doing all of these things, we're not earning anything. Everything you are and everything you have is by the grace of God. And that brings me to a last point, and this one's very important, and that is that grace is ongoing. You're never finished responding to the gift, ever. You know, in biblical times, there were people who were on the lower rung of the social ladder and couldn't afford certain things. If they were in need, the only way that they could get them was to ask someone who was wealthy. They would ask them for favor. And if the wealthy person obliged and bought it for them, now the recipient was obligated to that person for the rest of their lives. The favor that the wealthy person would give was known in the Greek language as charis. By no Greek, what, is, what does the Greek word charis mean? It means grace. And there was nothing more detestable in this culture than to not be grateful for what you received. So a person who received this favor, this charis from a wealthy man was obligated from that point forward to show love and gratitude, to be loyal. And if they didn't, they were marked by society. They were considered a social outcast. They would never be given favor again because they had proven that they were not loyal, that they were ungrateful, and therefore they were detestable. Now say all that to say this. In Ephesians chapter 2, this time 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What the ancient world shows us is that grace and gratitude are inseparably linked together. And we see this even in our English language. When we sit down to have a meal, we say grace. You know, in the Spanish language, thank you is gracias, a form of grace. It used to be that the word grace only stood for the gift, not only for the gift, but also for the response to the gift. Grace was the gift, but it was also the recipient's response. So when someone shows you grace, you respond with gratitude. That is what our obedience is all about. Our obedience or our good works is not about trying to earn anything, nor even after we have received the gift of grace, is our obedience trying to somehow merit the fact that we got it. Our response by doing good works, living at the center of Christ's will, by doing the things that God would have us to do, all of those are to show that we are grateful. We still can't earn any of it. We still, no matter how much good we do in our lives, we'll never be able to reach a point and say, all right, God, I paid you back. It will never happen. So we don't do these things to somehow show God that we deserved it in the first place. We do these good works. We do these good deeds because we are thankful. We are grateful for the charis or the grace that God has shown us. We were those lowly ones who couldn't afford it because the price was just too astronomical. There's no way we could have purchased it anyway. God gave us what we could not work for, what we could not earn or merit in any way. 
And so the response of obedience is just to show him thank you for the grace. You know, there was a, a couple that was married, but it wasn't a good marriage. They were roommates, not soulmates. And they were married for many years. And during that time, the husband was a tyrannical dictator. He was very controlling. He was rude and insensitive. He had many demands that he placed upon his wife. In fact, he had a list of things that he expected her to do every day. And if she didn't do them, he got very angry. Among them were what time he wanted his breakfast, when he wanted supper, different things that he expected to be done around the house when he got home. It was a miserable marriage. But finally, the gentleman passed away. And after a few years, the woman got married again. And the man she married was the polar opposite of the guy that she had been married to. This man loved her. He treated her like a queen. He placed no demands on her. He was just happy to be in her presence, thankful that God blessed him with such a wonderful wife. And she too was thankful that she finally got to see how a wife should be treated. One day she was cleaning out some drawers and she came across that list that her former husband had made for her. And she broke down in tears as she realized that she was fulfilling every item on that list for her current husband. Not because he forced her to. He didn't even know about the list. But she was doing it because she loved him so much. The difference was with the first marriage, she was doing it out of obligation. In this marriage, she was doing it because she was grateful and because she loved him so much. There's a difference, folks, for us as well. This, this covenant that we enjoy with God, we do good things. And we show our appreciation because we love him so much and we are thankful. It's not about doing it out of obligation. It's about doing it out of love. Maybe you have not accepted the free gift of grace. Maybe you have at one point in your life and maybe you're not living in response to it. Maybe you're ready to learn more about this gift of grace and you want to study with someone. We at Oldham Lane want to help you. We want you to know all about this gift. We want you to receive it, and we want you to live in response to it. So if you have a need this morning that we can help you with, feel free to come forward as we stand and sing.